and let's start to build relationships and a community down there so that we can just, again, highlight that community, right? Be a steward of the industry, tell the stories from the lens of the people that are there. And that's what made it important for us to really create different magazines for different areas. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And it is officially MJ BizCon After Party Week. (laughs) I joke because of course it's about the actual MJ BizCon event, but then over the last few weeks, I've been hearing a lot of people say they plan on going to Vegas badge list to just attend the social parties. So now I'm like, wait, okay, I see you. But really, I do enjoy the conference portion. The trade show floor alone spans like three football fields or something. So that's pretty cool. I'm gonna get my steps in. And I genuinely do look forward to the programming and networking opportunities. The final MJ BizCon call out is if you are there, please come see my panel discussion called Mastering the Art of Content Marketing. It's taking place Thursday at 1.30 p.m. I think we're in room S231. Definitely check the schedule though. You will need a badge to get in, but for all of you squares going to the actual event, please come through. Let's give a high five and it would just really be great to see you and meet you guys in person. And for the record, it's me, I'm a square. I think for today's what the fuck is going on in the industry portion, I want to bring up that I saw two major executives have announced they are departing their positions. The first is Weedmap CEO Chris Beals, and the second is the SVP of Marketing and Communications at Leafly, Laura Morarity. Both announced via a post on LinkedIn, or at least that's where I saw the news, that they do not have plans for their next gig, but that their time was up. Just speculation here, but like, is it typical for executives to leave their positions without the next one lined up? I legit do not know what is right or if there is a typical answer on how to handle this, but it's a bit striking considering both companies have also announced layoffs. Earlier this year, Weedmaps laid off 10% of its roughly 600 person workforce, citing market contractions in California, Colorado, and Oklahoma. And then Leafly in October announced a 21% cut of their workforce, laying off 56 people in a move designed to improve operating performance. So let's go back and remember this past summer where Dutchie laid off 8% of their workforce, citing dramatic market shifts. And that brings us up to presently where in the last two weeks, I heard Bovida laid off a significant amount of their workforce as well. I have friends at Bovida who were like, oh, this was extremely difficult to hear on top of everything else going on. And as I was processing that news, I got wind that the Calico Group, who had recently relocated their cannabis supply chain company to Austin, Texas, had also laid off the majority of their workforce. Now, I do not have specific details on any of these, and these are just the companies that I've personally heard news about because I saw on social media or I work with them in some capacity. So my heart just goes out to everyone who's been impacted by a layoff over the past year. I can't even imagine what it's like experiencing that. And if that happens to be you, please let me know if there's any way that I can support you. I'm happy to plug you into resources however I can. In fact, I wanna remind you to check out vanks.com, V-A-N-G-S-T.com, which is a cannabis-specific job board for those of you who want to stay working within this tumultuous industry. 
Another speculation to highlight, every company I mentioned is not plant touching, which to me says that there is added risk accrued when you're a company. Another speculation to highlight, every company I mentioned is not plant touching, which was kind of like a red flag. You know, I thought that if you're plant touching, you obviously have more risk and that if you're an ancillary company, you just don't have as much risk. And so for me hearing these layoffs, it's like I would kind of get it from the plant touching side. There's a lot of restructuring and saturation going on, but you'd think, especially from a tech perspective, that things would be a little bit more stable. And that's kind of what I've been associating with. But these layoffs have been affecting plant touching, ancillary tech businesses. And so I'm like, what is coming that we need to be prepared for? In fact, I was so curious to just like read up on what's been going on. And MJ Biz actually wrote about this in September, highlighting the Duchy and Weed Maps layoffs. But they added Arizona medical marijuana grower Nature AZ Medicine laid off around 100 employees as medical sales drop and rec sales spike. And then Michigan-based Loom Cannabis closed four of its roughly 30 stores in the state, but did say they plan to open three additional stores in more populated areas. The realignment comes at a time when marijuana prices in Michigan have tumbled because of market saturation. So again, clearly these things are all tied together to some extent when medical drops and rec increases, when you have new states coming online, taking ownership of, you know, previously isolated markets like in Colorado and California, when you have too much choice, prices drop like what's going on in Oklahoma. And as we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, when cannabis was deemed essential, things swelled. But as we enter into a recession, it just begins to deflate that bubble and things are normalizing out. The article goes on to credit the layoffs to a larger shift in the industry towards consolidation, reminiscing about brands outside of our space like Peloton that saw massive shifts at the height of the pandemic ultimately teetered out as things began opening up is a similar sentiment to what we're experiencing in cannabis, not to mention the recession on top of everything else going on. It's all about struggling to right-size the business. I don't mention all of this to alarm you, but rather to prepare you for the realities that are to come. And so especially going into such an exciting week of networking and celebration, we need to also acknowledge the flip side of the coin that is affecting major brands and realize that no one is immune. If you have anything to add, please reach out and let me know via social media. You can always find me at To Be Blunt Pod. I would love to hear from you. Again, really not trying to alarm you, really ultimately trying to prepare you to face the realities of this industry. As more states go online, it's going to probably be very similar narratives. The realities are when you have so much operation, so much production, so much cultivation going on, it has to be sold to a consumer. And if the consumer doesn't have the wallet for it, what's going to happen to the market, right? So again, just want you guys to be prepared. It's all with love. Now transitioning into today's guest, I did time this episode with MJ Biz on purpose because David Tran is the former co-founder of Dope Magazine, which was previously acquired by High Times. And David is now the present co-founder of Fairchild, which is a new event ticketing and marketing platform for free thinking individuals to connect through unconventional events. David and his partner, James, draw from decades of experience in nightlife, media, marketing, and event production, including their infamous golden ticket parties, which they began hosting in 2008. They've developed an impressive array of opportunities in the experiential space and are pulling together their years of work across multiple sectors, making Fairchild an all-inclusive platform, appealing to brands and producers outside of cannabis and drawing both mainstream and emerging audiences. Fairchild is both an event producer and an event platform. And if you'll be in Vegas, maybe you'll get to experience an event of theirs firsthand. Specifically, they'll be putting on the Shangri-La party taking place Thursday night. If you are going to be there, let me know. I will also be there and looking forward to seeing you guys out at these after parties. 
And I've just been paying attention to David's work over the years. And it's clear that this man understands community and understands compliance. And the two really go hand in hand when navigating cannabis events. Whether you are someone who is currently putting on events, you aspire to put on events, you love attending events, you're obviously in the space to some extent, this is such a important conversation to have and you'll be learning from literally one of the leaders who is helping pave the way for these types of events to take place. And so this is a perfect episode to invite you into this week of cannabis networking and events. And I truly hope leaves you inspired for ways to find success in this constantly changing industry. So without further ado, let's welcome David to the show. Oh, cool. Thanks for having me and appreciate it. Well, I am David Tran with Fairchild and we're an event company and in the cannabis industry. And, you know, we specialize in ticketing and marketing and events and, uh, you know, it kind of takes me back to, uh, you know, you know, where I got started many years ago. Uh, I would say that it got started in the bar industry when I was a nightclub promoter and, you know, I always had this thing about getting people together, you know, whether it's back in the day when I had the big house and everyone came to my house and hung out. And, you know, then we got into the bar business where I opened four different nightclubs and bars. And that was quite an interesting period of my life for sure. You know, just another way to get people together. But really, you know, from a marketing point of view, it's just... It's changed so much over the years, and so you know we were you know, we were very used to putting flyers on cars and doing radio ads and those type of things, and now we're such in a different way. So you know, got a real chance to you know open a couple of different types of bars: a Western bar, a very high end nightclub, and then a lounge, and uh, eventually a restaurant. So really learned, uh, you know just how things continue to evolve when it comes to marketing, but also as far as people is concerned, it's just some, you know, just continually changing, evolving audience that you have. Uh, and very fortunate that, you know, I was able to get back into the cannabis industry uh, after being a, quite an advocate for many years. You know, I would say I started about 30 years ago, you know, behind a 7-Eleven actually out of all places but you know it always has been a part of my life and to be able to get back into the industry through uh medical stores actually really eye-opening and life-changing because you know to me it was smoking pot and getting high and then i realized when you open the store that certainly what i expected wasn't what i thought and real people with medical conditions started coming to my store and started telling me about their story, about how it's changed their life. And it really kind of changed, flipped the script for me as far as how I understand cannabis and how I utilized it in my life. And, uh, you know, very quickly, I realized that I, there wasn't a lot of places to market my store. I, you know, there was two small magazines that looked like they were just put together really not too professionally, to say the least. And uh, I was like, you know what? There's a need there. You know, not only a need for uh, marketing, but also a need for education. Uh, as I realized, I didn't know as much as I thought I did. I didn't know about the sativas and the indicas. You know, I just thought there was purple weed, there was the hairy orange hair weed, and that's how we described everything. And so it really 
changed my perspective and I got really lucky and I teamed up with James Ahogny, who's still my partner today, but he was doing a lifestyle magazine in the bar industry and we already did a lot of things in the nightclub um, uh, and hospitality industry. We put together uh, some pretty long-standing events together and when we decided to do Dope Magazine, I was like, hey, you know, you have the experience and putting together these magazines, which I didn't have, and it really came together quickly. And, you know, we were really able to, you know, start a magazine called Dope Magazine and back in 2011. And it was certainly shocking to a lot of, to me, advocates that were really referring dope to, you know, something bad, right? And for me, I was just like, you know, the, the, the word is changing, the just the canvas is changing. And so we really backed that up by, you know, really having the, you know, defending our patients everywhere was really what Dope Magazine stood for. And we continue to, you know, build content and build different ways to express all these things that not a lot of people knew about, you know, and and, and CBD, what are the medical effects? What are the benefits? Uh, And, Truly, it was difficult to start with because not too many people wanted to be in front. Uh, I think we've all been used to being underground and being ashamed of utilizing cannabis and, and no matter how we used it. So it really was this opportunity to shine a light on that. And, you know, we spent many years uh, building the brand. And, you know, for us, it was, you know, the magazine, which back in 2011 was still very relevant. and. Uh, we also brought in the event side of it because for us, cannabis events involve just, you know, people thought of it as like, here's some hippie events underground, not very organized. And so we decided to bring in our experience with the hospitalities, the bars, the nightclubs, and sort of building events that we thought would represent the industry going forward. And so, uh, you know, we were able to create several great events, the Dope Cup, which was a cannabis competition for, you know, medical cups. And really that was just like, who's doing it right? Who's, you know, really building strains that were helping, uh, you know, our community out. And then we started building Dope Industry Award Shows, which also recognized people and companies who were innovating, who were advocating uh, and then we also built the uh, Bud Tender Appreciation Days, which really highlighted Bud Tenders who were the gatekeepers of cannabis. So it was really cool to be able to continue to bring people together and kind of just throughout my career, it's just always been that same alignment there. How do I bring people together? I think that's what brings me joy. And so being able to do it in the cannabis industry was incredible and you know, we got to do that for, you know, a good eight years until we sold our company to High Times in 2019. And, you know, you know, High Times is always, to me, what inspired us. You know, that's what I had under my pillow at night when I was, you know, watching Bud Form and, you know, all that stuff and hiding it from everybody. But, you know, that really honestly led us to where we're at now, which is, Fairchild, which is focused on events, and, you know, we love it. That's what my passion is, and uh, that's where we're at.
No, that's so wonderful to hear from your experience and like personally be able to connect some of the dots because I can imagine there is, especially just doing this podcast, so many people I talk to, obviously so many different backgrounds of life. I'm sure you interact with these same people in different capacities, right? It's not a lot of people who came from maybe the legacy or the illicit side of things always. They come from other industries. And so trying to like craft something new, there's a lot of this works and maybe it also doesn't work. So trying to figure it out as you kind of go. But I think that's the beauty that I've been able to just kind of like lean into is it's okay to not know everything and kind of obviously learn from those mistakes. But I guess that kind of like leads into my first question, which is really aimed at a little bit of your experience from Dope Magazine and some certainly like leaning into what you're doing now with Fairchild. Were you always successful? Like 2011, that was a really premature, really early time as you're kind of, you know, recalling and highlighting when you're entering the market, putting a magazine together. Obviously, your partner had experience in the magazine space. So I imagine like collecting ideas, sponsors, you know, stories, graphics, like figuring out the paper, how you're going to print it, where you're distributing it. Like I can imagine that was fairly easy because he had experience, but also difficult because you're entering into a new market. So I would love to hear just a little bit more about kind of like that timeline of what it was like going from that where like now when you put on an event, like people pay attention and they listen, like they're excited to participate in the events that you're producing. And your name is very revered in the industry as someone who has done a lot for the industry. But at some point, you weren't always David Tran in this capacity. So kind of like at what point do you feel the magazine opened up to allow you that opportunity and kind of contrast with us the before it was successful or had stickiness or resonated with people to like after, if that makes sense? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it was really hard, you know, back in, you know, 2011. Like I said, not too many people were, you know, wanted to be out in front uh, I, I think we're all still in the proverbial closet, cannabis closet. And so I think, you know, taking that big step out and, you know, there weren't really a lot of media companies around back in 2011. So there's certainly a lot of work and we started off very small uh, just here in Washington. But, you know, as legalization started becoming a topic, it started really opening up the door and, you know, we start realizing that, you know, cannabis, you know, there's a long, like you mentioned earlier, it's a huge demographic, a huge range of reasons why people consume cannabis and are advocates for it. And we started realizing that it's not only the patients, it's not, you know, it's it's the people, there's the planet. And, you know, eventually we really evolved Dope Magazine into encompassing all those things. And we really started focusing on the people because we realized that that was going to be the reason why people would change their minds is if they saw different types of people and people from different backgrounds talking about what cannabis has done for their lives, they would start to relate to them. And then we followed up with the products afterwards. So, you know, the more, the more the conversation opened up with legalization, you know, we were just the perfect timing to just facilitate that message. And I've just been really lucky to have some incredible people around me that, you know, were just so creative, who are advocates, who really understood, like you said, what content would be relevant, uh, what would be helpful. 
And uh, also, you know, we're very lucky where, you know, people started becoming more comfortable with coming to us. And at the beginning, we used to have covers where we had to make designs, but then we started putting people on there. We started putting on people that uh, were leading this whole revolution. And I think that was the beautiful part about Dope Magazine is, you know, now we were putting highlighting people instead of, you know, just um, just the, the, the whole topic of it. So it's completely evolved. And again, if you can imagine a magazine, quite a median back in the day was still very relevant, right? And as time went on, just imagine selling magazine ads and doing those type of things when all of a sudden social media starts coming into play. Digital marketing is absolutely everything. But, you know, the team, like, put together such a beautifully curated magazine that it really became something you wanted to keep. You know, it was, a, it, to me, it was a documenting history as we spoke with a true relic of the magazine. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it's really hard, right? Because to me, we're all really confined to the borders of our own states when it comes to cannabis. There's no such thing as a national magazine. So, if you can imagine scaling a business like that and you have to do, uh, you know, we started in Washington then we expanded to Oregon and then to Colorado. And then we started looking at California and really started going on the progressive steps of legalizing who's building a community there. And let's start to build relationships and a community down there so that we can just, again, highlight that community, right? Be a steward of the industry, tell the stories, from the lens of the people that are there. And that's what made it important for us to really create different magazines for different areas. Because, you know, Northern Cali speaks different than Southern Cali and vice versa too, you know. But eventually we were able to show magazines to defending our patients everywhere, to defending our, our people, our planet, and the planet. Right. So that was important change for us. And that allowed us to also to, to build a more national uh, magazine where we can start delivering this information over to the East Coast, where people are hearing about legalization, watching it. And now they're able to understand a little bit more. And I'm glad we're able to be a part of that understanding and that learning process. Yeah, you said the word people a lot. And I know that it not lightly said, right? Like from the consumer side of things, you're trying to relate to a population who perhaps, you know, to be blunt, sees cannabis in a particular light, right? And then on the other end, you're trying to recognize and highlight the people who are helping shape the industry. And then I love that you mentioned just the variation state to state. I've even seen it, and I'm certain other people listening can relate to this too, yourself included, even city to city with some of these different markets, just being in Oklahoma um, over the weekend, and I got to talk to some dispensary owners, and I'm always trying to, you know, soak up knowledge. Again, that's the whole point of this podcast for me is just selfishly, I'm a sponge. I want to learn. I want to learn from you guys and was asking them, you know, what is, what is it like, you know, marketing your dispensary? How does that work? And they're like, oh, well, this one in this part of town is a different audience than these people. And so we buy different products depending on who our customer is. And so I think that is such a, again, maybe like low hanging fruit thing to think about, but it goes 
um, overlooked so often. People are just so fixated on like the bigger picture and not distilling it down to like a one-to-one kind of approach. And perhaps, you know, a magazine or an event, the intention is for it to be seen and heard and experienced by many, but how do you kind of capture that one-to-one experience? And so I think that, you know, hearing that that has been such a priority for you and your team just throughout every project that you've kind of, you know, leaned into really shows why I think things have been so successful for you guys, just because you're really trying to take that one-to-one kind of approach. So kind of looking at the event side of things now with Fairchild, you talked a little bit too about, you know, just the transition between Dope Magazine, obviously a physical magazine. I think um, I might be one of the last few people who's like, paper isn't dead. Like I love the, you know, like holding something like physical. I have like a whole bookshelf of books. So I can imagine magazine, obviously, you can have a website to start promoting articles. So I'd love to hear just a little bit of, you know, your leverage of tools, promoting things. Again, from Fairchild's perspective, from what I know, and I'd love to learn a little bit more from you, is an event platform. So you sell tickets on the platform, and then you're also hosting events. So Events are very experiential. How do you kind of get the word out? How do you promote? Are you on social media channels? What has been successful for you and what makes the most sense for what you're trying to accomplish with the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, interesting enough, you know, we've been, we started this about three years ago, right before COVID happened, but we still really consider ourselves a startup. You know, we're, 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 we've never really, been a technology company with Dope Magazine while we had a website and social media that had pretty big audiences. We were always known as a magazine. So getting into Fairchild, we really wanted to fill a need. Like, you know, people who are creating companies are trying to fill a need. And for us, we start realizing that event producers don't have all the tools that other event producers have. You know, while Eventbrite and Ticketmaster are available to sell tickets, they're still very much against uh, accepting tickets and ticket sales. And we have found that a lot of people have come to us saying, you know what? Well, Eventbrite just shut our ticketing off. They kept our list and they kept our money. And, you know, for small companies and event producers, you know, cash flow and all that stuff is pretty important. And one event, you know, where you invest in it, if something goes wrong, it could be the difference between how uh, companies being able to survive or not. So uh, we wanted to create that platform. And we also realized, you know, that there really isn't a central location for all the events too. So we really, our aspiration was to create this platform, fine tune it because we're still learning so much about being tech people. And I still laugh that we're, you know, going into that field because that's not really our expertise in you know, that really goes with the point where we're trying to surround ourselves with smarter people than us. And we're very lucky that, you know, you know that, the, that wheel has been invented before. So just making sure that we you know, listen, we go through that same process, you know, that other successful tech companies go through. And ultimately, at the end, you know, we, we're, we're a data company, too, right? We're really collecting so much information, but we're not really collecting information about, products. We're, we're, we're collecting information about human behavior. Uh, what do people like to do? Where do people want to go? How do we fine-tune that experience so that when you go anywhere else, you can experience that, you know, in different states? Uh, so really, it's 
quite you know it's, it's interesting because we're still developing how we're getting the word out while we're building this technology platform now we're almost ready we're like well it works well we've tried it on all of our we did 14 events this year and we tried it on our events we have fine-tuned it we have done so much background stuff and you didn't realize there was so much small tweaks and things that you do and bugs and all those things. So I have so much respect, so much more respect for people who have built this because it's not just turn it on and it works. So we have spent all of that time. And actually, I would say that this MJ Biz is that first time we're going to wave the flag and say, okay, we go comfortable. Let's start building. And I think it always starts with, you know, building this base that we have already. But we've also been very connected with, you know, with media partners and other partners where when we do get to that point where we're going to full on blast our marketing campaign, not just for our events, but for our platform, we're going to have quite an interesting campaign to be able to let people know, hey, this is actually what we're doing. We just don't throw events. We actually are a platform that is made for the people or the uh, event producers. And hopefully this is that place where, you know, the community comes to, you know, find out what uh, is going on. No, that's so great because like you outlined, obviously the platforms that we have access to as cannabis business owners and operators are very limited. And I find the tech to support our industry is very lacking. On one hand, you have these big platforms that are very well known to the general public and yet they put handcuffs on us. And then you're trying to go implement something and you really have to kind of roll your sleeves up in, in every capacity, I think, of the industry, but especially when you're trying to make uh, solutions like what you're building with Fairchild from a technology perspective. And so just like a clarifying question, it sounds like y'all built it from scratch or were you able to kind of use maybe like an open source platform that already had some capabilities and kind of tweak it to do what you want to do? I asked this because I, I came from websites and technology prior to getting in the cannabis industry. And again, that is so fascinating for me because all my friends looking in, hearing my problems are like, oh, why don't you just go to Eventbrite? Or like, oh, why don't you just use PayPal? And I'm like, I can't use these things. And like, they don't understand fully why it's so challenging for the industry. And so I'm just curious from the tech perspective, was it like really built from scratch or were you able to like use some components that existed already? Yeah, absolutely. We were, we built it from scratch because, you know, I mean, I think there's two ways of thinking about it. It's like putting together a house with different components or building it from the ground up the way that you wanted to do it. And obviously there's a lot of other resources and plugins that you can use to save yourself time. No need to, recreate certain things but you know we wanted to really simplify it you know we're event producers ourselves so we know what works and what we need as an event producer so we wanted it to be simple first and foremost and then to me like the you know user experience needs to be easy also so you know we went through the whole process actually my partner james went through a whole incubator while we were in covid and you know, we got accepted into this incubator, tech incubator. He went through every process of, you know, building a business plan and building, a, you know, kind of ways to kind of make our platform valuable and useful. And so there was certainly a learning curve, but building it from the ground up, we're very lucky that we have uh, a, a couple of advisors in between there that have done this before. 
Uh, and we're finally at the point now where, you know, we don't have to go overseas and, you know, kind of do things with a little bit of latency there. And now we have someone locally that helps us go, okay, we can fix things right away. Also, I have an idea. Let's implement it right away and let's include it in there. So this is ongoing building of this platform and all these little pieces become a little bit bigger and more useful. And the, the great part is that you know, all of the people that have utilized our platform has really, I mean, they're the ones that are giving us the opportunity to make mistakes, give us positive feedback so that we can build this better. And that's really where we're kind of, let's utilize this as do a beta test, make sure that when we do put it out, that it's at a certain level that we can, you know, that, that, that could be useful for, you know, the general public. Yeah, I like the analogy used of like how you build a house. And, and obviously, there are different ways to go about the execution of that. But I think that is such a good tip that I just wanted to reiterate for the audience, because I think a question I get asked a lot is like, you know, what is the right direction to go? And, and there really isn't one way to the top, right? It's what's the most economical within your skill set, within your resources, um, flexible for you, accessible, all those questions need to be considered for how do I go and build my house? But Obviously, it sounds like you guys really leaned into what has been successful for you. And I think to kind of like punctuate it a little bit better too, my brain has been spinning thinking, you know, again, you kind of highlighted, I didn't fully realize Fairchild was other events. I mean, you mentioned y'all did 14 last year. I think that's a cool win for you guys, if I can be, you know, kind of candid about that, because I think sometimes when people are building alternative platforms for, I'm going to use air quotes, the cannabis industry. It's like so difficult for me. And I'll use an example of like some of these social media platforms. I'm not going to name them, but like to me as a brand, I I could go to this non-mainstream platform, but is my audience there? And it's like, I want to play where the mainstream people are. And obviously what you're doing is not social media so much. So I don't think you have to worry about the audience, but you benefit because you're like, hey, my events are here. I'm recognized as an awesome, badass event producer. So this is the website that you're going to come to, to RSVP for my events. And I think it's very uh, just smart to be able to kind of, like you said, test it out with your own audience, leverage it for your own events, and then kind of like already have that community established where people are associating the name Fairchild with, you know, events in, in not even necessarily, I'm sure the cannabis industry, but just a more friendly event platform. And so I just wanted to come full circle with what's going on in my head out loud for you and the audience, because I think it's pretty cool what you're doing. Yeah. So Kind of with that too, be knowing how uh, prestigious of an event producer, how uh, long you've been producing events, just coming from nightlife as well. A couple of questions, so I'll let you kind of weave in an answer and how you feel. But one, what is like the the top, you know, five, ten things to you that makes like a good event? Like if I'm sitting there listening and I'm like, oh, I want to put an event on, which personally I'd love to put events on. I love events, but like to you, what is it? Like is it the is it having good, you know, experiences? Is it having like really good drinks and food? Is it having like, you know, people who are performing? Is it the venue? Like on your checklist of like, this makes a great event. And maybe the caveat is in the cannabis industry, specifically with the events that you're producing. Also then wanting to reflect on how different has that been than maybe events you've put on in the hospitality space in general, coming from nightlife and bar and event production. Like, 
do all events have the same recipe is kind of the question I'm getting at. And maybe like what is different about the events that you're producing in the cannabis industry? And then the final thing I'll share, I was reading a quote you did, I think from 2020 about a little bit about Dope Magazine, but I can't imagine it bleeds into Fairchild as well. Just talking about how you didn't want Dope Magazine to be so much into the counterculture because you knew that wasn't going to attract this new audience. And so being somebody who's been to your events before, they are not the traditional what I think someone looking from the outside in like, yes, there's cannabis there. Like, yes, there's, you know, maybe uh, weed memes or weed graphics potentially incorporated. But like, it's a very high end, very like prestigious, like luxe kind of feeling flashy, like you're going to like a Vegas party. And so I can imagine people looking from the outside in think, oh, it's just a cannabis event. They're all just getting high. But how do you elevate it? And so how do you elevate those events? How do they differ from um, previous events you've put on and what kind of to you is the recipe for a successful event in in our industry? Okay, I'm going to try to put that all together here. You know, and again, I think I would start with the challenges, right? I mean, I, don't, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that we're up against quite a bit when you're throwing a cannabis uh, event, especially one that has consumption. First of all, it's just difficult to get venues, right? I mean, first of all, legally, you can't smoke indoors. So there's always challenges with that. And how do you create that? Uh, you know, how do you find these venues to start with? But, you know, when you talk about, you know, what makes a successful event, it really starts with the audience. Like, who are you really catering towards? And when you start creating towards that, then you can start creating themes on, you know, ideas that really attract that. So there's certainly different type of events. There's B2B events, there's B2C events. I want to get to consumers. I want to get to business events that are a little more suit and tie. So when you determine what your audience is, then you really get to the theme. And this is kind of the process of us creating an event. It's just starting there and, and then starting to create what that, feeling is and then you start going very much into the details which is the experience on it and if you can obviously to me i'm a counterculture guy to begin with right i had the dreadlocks back in the day so i never say that that's not a part of what cannabis is right while medical is very important it should just be my goal is just so it could be free so you could utilize it however you want to that really is how we normalize this plant right right now it's just getting demonized and the normalization part is 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 really what we think about when we create these events where it doesn't have to be why can't it have these aspects uh these high level aspects on it why can't you experience a hot air balloon you know ride at our event right and why can't you ride a camel and these type of things that make people go wow I remember that part of it. And basically when you create that atmosphere, you're helping your sponsors who basically are helping support and build, bring this to life. And, and what value can you bring to them? Number one, you got to bring in the right people, but you know, that also that experience of people remembering their brand first and foremost, before even they remember Fairchild, I want them to remember girlfriend distribution, you know, how was that experience relates to them? Because ultimately at the end, you know, those are the people that are helping us support this industry, especially when you're throwing free events, right? So we really count on them to 
help us build this. So it's very incumbent on us to build those experiences. And you started talking about food, drinks, all those things play into a memorable event, right? That people continue to talk about and want to go to the next one. And, you know, I, I use the example of MJ Biz, you know, our, you know, we started these events seven years ago and it was because MJ Biz was at the Rio and everyone was asking me, where are you guys going to hang out afterwards? And we just chose a place and so many people showed up, right? And the next year it got bigger and they were just like, well, Dave, well, now it's just like we want to be a part of it. And so now we're like, okay, well, now it's going to be a bigger production. Let's build something. And every year you build on top of that. And if you do it right, every year the people that were there want to come back. They also tell people like, whoa, this is quite an event to be at. And uh, so you certainly continue to build upon your reputation as an event producer to continue to build that value for the sponsors, that value for the people that are coming. And ultimately, when you start building content, you know, you start, you know, again, sharing with a bigger audience what it can be, what the industry looks like now. It's not what you think it is. It's actually pretty professional. It's actually pretty, you know what I mean? There's some fun going on. It's not that the audience is diverse. And those are the type of things that you continue to build when you start building content. It's like, show the world what is happening. And I think that's what we're doing with Fairchild is, is, is from an events point of view, we're doing events all over the United States. We've been doing events everywhere. We have different partners like, trade show partners who are just like, hey, can you throw our after party? You know, we want to focus in our events and, you know, we want people to continue their experience afterwards. And that's really where we just partner directly with them. They know that we care about compliance. We care about having the right people. We care about bringing the very positive attitude to, 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 to the whole, to their event as a whole. So, that's why it's really exciting for MK Biz to finally reach out and say, you know what? We're finally okay with these after parties, right? Which they haven't been for years. But I think people realize now that, you know, there's a time to build business and then there's a time to build relationships. And I, I think when you're able to get in a comfortable environment, like a after event or a fun event like that, all of a sudden you're really connecting with people. And I just like people come back to me and just like, Wow, I met my business partner there. I met my best friend at one of your events. I can't tell you the reward it feels like when, when when you hear that and that's always, you know, been something that drives, you know, me and you know keeps my, you know, cup full. quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. Well, like you said, too, there's so many different types of events. So I can appreciate, you know, that discernment of trying to figure out who's your audience. And that paired then with obviously compliance is huge in our industry. To your point, 
venue selection is, I feel like, just like on the cusp of maybe being more accessible because you do have states now legalizing from a licensure perspective, the ability to designate certain spaces that can be deemed for consumption. So I want to know a little bit too, knowing that you're doing events all across the United States from a compliance perspective, how do you, I guess, like influence some of that policy? I imagine you have to be involved from an advocacy perspective, but like you're based in Washington primarily, but then you're doing events all over. Vegas seems to be a hot spot just given the history from the cannabis, you know, industry perspective. But like when you, let's say, have a trade show client in, I don't know, Michigan, maybe you've done, maybe you haven't done Michigan, like how do you start to approach that, especially some of these emerging markets that very much want to capitalize on the experiential, you know, component, especially as cannabis consumers, like a baseline, like to enjoy cannabis, you have to consume it. Not that I don't love, you know, enjoying my cannabis on my couch, you know, by myself in my pajamas with a good movie on, but So much of it is, you know, passing the joint. It's this social component. And like you said, there is business to be done, but to neglect the, I don't want to say just like fun of it, but the humanization of it. It's like, okay, we're people at the end of the day and we do want to build community around what we're doing and around this passion. So I'm just curious how you kind of approach that given that it is such a newer realm So maybe there's like before there are really these talks of consumption licenses and you're like, yeah, you know, honestly, a lot of times it was like on the fringe, like a gray area or like you were saying it's outside versus inside. And so I'm just curious if it's gotten easier with more states starting to approach policy like that and how you kind of handle those conversations. Well, it's interesting. I mean, every state has different rules and that's really what we're working against for us. So when we do go into a different state, it's very important for us to understand the rules and the the, the laws of that individual state. And the good part is that we have, you know, great just partners and friends all over that have done it, who are willing to talk to us about that. And if not, you know, certainly all of these regs are listed out on there, but simply it's still very gray, right? Even if there's a RCW there, it's it's up for interpretation. So it's very important, you know, to be as transparent as possible. And, you know, when you're investing in an event like this, the last thing you want is for something right on the last minute to shut it down. And we've been there before where, you know, we had events that we had to move the 48 hours beforehand because of, you know, again, politics. Uh, and, you know, there's also the politics of the event you know, venue owners also, you know, if they feel like they're licensed or, or their building or anything's being threatened, they certainly don't want to take that risk. So we have to navigate through a lot of those different, uh, you know, challenges and things are changing. But, you know, we sat down with like the, you know, the, the attorney general here in Washington. He's just like, there would be nothing more I want than to have consumption lounges. He's just like, last thing I want to do is arrest someone outside for smoking there. We're in a legal state. You can buy it. Uh, I, you can't smoke it outside. You can't smoke it in, if you're a tourist, you can't smoke in a hotel. Literally, where can you actually consume it? And to me, I don't like to put propaganda behind the reason why people want to smoke. I mean, yeah, if you're doing it for medical reasons, more power to you. You want to do it just so that it's easier to listen to music and that you're a better dancer, then do it. Right. The key is to me is just like having the freedom to do it 
you know, while alcohol is great for everyone to do, it's just a shame that cannabis just can't have that same freedom to be able to do that. And I think that really is more of my advocacy is, you know, how do we get to the point where we're allowed to do alcohol? And again, I'm in the bar industry and I did it. How can cannabis be aligned with that thing so people could have different choices? And uh, I certainly think things are changing. Things are evolving. Uh, Las Vegas, you know, cannabis consumption lounges by next year. We should all be able to walk into some incredible consumption lounges. You know, California is looking at some of that. But I think most of the states that are coming on board, that conversation is happening hand in hand with that because of the same conversation I had with the Attorney General. Why legalize it when you can't consume it? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, far gone are the days of public safety, right? They're not, you know, this is not a public safety thing. You know, people aren't, you know, I think people think people are chewing people's faces off after they, you know, go pop a joint. And I think, you know, the good part is, you know, mainstream media is telling us that it's far from that and that, you know, underage consumption is going down. Uh, All all sorts of things are changing that wasn't thought of before. So uh, I see it changing and, you know, it's going to be pretty amazing one day to be able to sit somewhere and be able to, you know, smoke a joint and and it not being a big deal because it's not a big deal. Yeah, there have been many conversations on this podcast just outlining what you just shared, right, where you have these states of legalized, but their policy for consumption is non-existent or in fluctuation. And yeah, I brought up that exact example where it's like Colorado is legal, but it's technically been illegal for you as a tourist to consume Vegas, you know, same boat where it's like, no, but they legalized it. And you're like, yeah, but you are on private property. There's nowhere for you to safely consume. So I imagine the overlay of trying to find an event space, an event venue, an owner of the event space who wants to, you know, allow that to happen. Because I still think there is, of course, trepidation, especially with the, I guess, you know, symbiotic and also maybe a little contentious like alcohol to cannabis. Like I think there is still a little bit of, at least like from our perspective, like in Texas, I hear certain people who maybe own like breweries or they own alcohol brands. They don't really want to do partnerships with CBD or cannabis brands yet because they could lose their license to sell alcohol. So I know that it's not a perfect, even kind of playing field, but I was going to offer an idea. I'm sure you've thought about it already, but like I think of those websites where I can find um, event space. Maybe it's to shoot, have, you know, a photo shoot or to have a dinner. There needs to be a dedicated website. Maybe it's on fairchild.com. That is. You got Fairchild 2.0 there. I mean, we're going to yeah. continue to build tools um, yeah. for event producers to make it easier for them. And again, event listing or uh, venue listings become fairly important in that conversation. Uh, so yeah, you're 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 right. You're right on target. Uh, and you know, for us, we love to you know anyone that we've worked with, we love to share with other members. We don't keep it close to our chest. Uh, we want other people to produce events that you know have good partners over there ones that understand compliance still because that still is very important we're not trying to sneak around and do things underhandedly i think you know everybody is concerned about their licenses if you're a sponsor if you're a uh event producer doing that everyone is concerned about their license and and it being affected by that so we want to make sure compliance is first and foremost but 
you're absolutely right. One day, you know, hopefully all these tools are available to to, to all of us. Well, it makes sense too, because it's like you said, you want to hopefully, you know, have that venue have enough business to maintain what they're doing. And so they can't just have one producer putting on events. They need a calendar to be filled. And it sounds like you're very busy doing things all across the United States. So I'm sure there's, you know, just so much opportunity for people to get in and to really do this industry um, a solid by bringing really great quality events together. But I agree with you, it's all got to be punctuated on compliance, which I think is table stakes. We talk about it all the time on this podcast. I think that's kind of, you know, the motivation for me too, as a marketer, why I started having more of these maybe more political or science-based conversations, because you really have to understand the totality of what you're getting into in this industry to be effective and to be here for the long haul, right? I, I don't ever really believe people want to make a business for a year or two years, a transactional business. You're trying to build a legacy. You're trying to build something that has sustenance and is is here for a while. And so the only way that you can do it is through, in our at least in our industry, is compliance and paying attention to regulation and, and trying to do the right thing based on what the law says you have to do. For sure. And definitely building a reputation for that. You know, I mean, certainly, you know, with the venue owners too, I mean, you're going to have to you know, we have to more than ever do things the right way, even with the venue, you know, leaving it the way we promised it. And, you know, this isn't, you know, a hotel that you trash or do those type of things, you know, our reputation's on the line for the next person. So, you know, I feel there's a certain responsibility that we have more than than other people to, to be able to show that, hey, you know, we are a very viable business to, to, to you and, you know, our money matters just as much. Absolutely. So one com- one question to kind of sum everything up and wrap everything up, you're talking about obviously you want to leave the venue in a good, you know, standing so that they want to hopefully do other events in future. Uh, obviously, you're in- involving brands and partners to help facilitate. You have the audience. For me as a marketer, I think, especially when it comes to events, I'm especially as a social person, I'm always looking at, you know, the ROI. So like to you, what is a successful event? What are some of those metrics that you kind of look at? And kind of like a supplement to that question that I'm personally curious about, how do you activate people to, obviously word of mouth is really big. So if I go to your event and then I'm telling my friend like, hey, you got to go RSVP for the next Fairchild event, like that's tangible. I'm, I'm referring someone, but I live and I'm sure everybody else, you know, you understand we live in a social digital world. So to me, it's how many shares did I get? How many tags did I get? I go to events and I see people, you know, they put placards up maybe next to the sponsor activation. And this is our, app, you know, Instagram handle. Or when you're sending out, you know, the invitation, here's everybody's social handles. Those are some of the things that I pay attention to as a marketer and a content creator when I go to events. And then as an event producer, I'm going to see who's sharing my content, who's, you know, blasting it to their friends. So how do you measure ROI for your events and how do you feel like you can activate for your brands, your sponsors, the venue to get some of that, you know, social, social juice, that megaphone to kind of like blast out your event? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's, it's a combination of so many things. And the good part is that we've been throwing events for a long time. So there already is a buzz going around uh, on all these. So for, to me, Sponsorships already benefit from the idea that they're going to be at an event where you know there's going to be X amount of people. Uh, there's never an issue at our events to get the right 
the right amount of people there, but also the right people there. Uh, and that's based on your reputation. We've really been building this this curated list for years, right? And uh, so being able to do that, but really we start with the deliverables because to me it's just like when I put out a sponsorship deck, it really comes down to, you know, this is what I'm promising you. I'm not just saying, you know, hey, don't worry about it. Everyone's going to like it. You're going to love it. And, you know, those things are, are, are for a gone. I would be like, you know, here's the audience that we're procuring. Here's what we're delivering for you, not only during the event, but before the event and after the event. And I think those are the type of things that, you know, when you do produce an event, to lay those type of things out. And, you know, that's important because we only have a certain reach with our social media. We're just getting started. So to me, having partners, having media partners, having those people that have a bigger audience and getting them involved allows you to have a bigger audience so that they can uh, accomplish what they want to accomplish. But ultimately, I always you know, talk about our events as a turnkey event, right, for sponsors. You don't have to pull anybody off to create the event. You don't have to worry about compliance. You don't have to worry about, you know, bringing people there and doing all those type of things. And ultimately, that brings a lot of value to a lot of people. So they're just like, well, cool. I could just invite the people like I would invite. And all the other stuff is taken care of on a high level. And instead of bringing, let's just say, for example, I tell people in Vegas, instead of going getting a suite uh, and spending an absorbent amount of money to feed them, give them drinks, not only for them to just go there for 30 minutes and then take off, and, you know, 50 people here, we're going to bring 2,500 people, activate to those people, get more eyeballs in there, but also take care of the people that you want to take care of, clients that have been there for you for a long time, and also new clients, taking care of them, showing them, again, humanizing your uh, business. You know, I am this person, this is who you're working with, it's not just a, uh, not just a, uh, a product, it's actually a company and company with soul so uh needless to say you know the roi is certainly in the deliverables and if you can make sure the deliverables have value to that very specific brand then they're and, and, and you have to follow through with it also that makes it valuable for anyone that gets involved no those are such great tips clearly from you know the mouth of the expert so thanks for sharing all of uh, that with us especially you know I'm hopefully going to release this episode here in the next couple of weeks. And we're getting, you know, right up into the line of MJ BizCon. So I'm really looking forward to, again, selfishly getting to go see your events um, yes. in person again, because it is such a mastery that you orchestrate and bring together. And I know that it is done with the utmost care and concern for the success of the industry, for the benefit of your sponsors, and ultimately just to help normalize and and bring people together around this great plant that we all love. So thanks for being on the show and looking forward to seeing you in Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely invited and can't wait to see everyone there. Thank you for doing what you're doing and uh, we'll see you in Vegas. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi. 